Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Commonwealth Club. And we are so happy to welcome an audience here in person in San Francisco, safely here on our headquarters in the Embarcadero as well as our friends online. I'm Gloria Duffy, President and CEO of the club, and I am so happy to welcome you to today's program focusing on hot trends in technology. If you wish to find out more about the Commonwealth Club and its programs, please visit us at commonwealthclub.org. We're very pleased that this program is being held in partnership with the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, the Foundation, Leadership Group Foundation Center, uh, California Center for Innovation. This program is also sponsored by Ford, KPMG, our friends at Silicon Valley Bank, and NASDAQ. As to our audience, both in person and online, we want you to be involved in this conversation. If you'd like to submit questions here in the room, please write on your question cards. We'll collect them and pose them to the panelists. For our virtual audience, please submit your questions via the text chat area, and our moderator will get to as many of them as possible later in the program. It's said that the best venture capitalists look around corners, and today some of the best VCs will share what they see. Before we get started, I'm very pleased to welcome to the stage Ahmad Thomas, CEO of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. Ahmad? Thank you so much, Gloria. On behalf of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group Foundation, we are thrilled to welcome you all here today. We have a small but mighty audience here in person and so many of you joining us virtually. Uh, as you know, we have a dynamic, thought-provoking group of panelists. I know we're gonna learn a lot today. We're talking about non-obvious tech trends. One thing that I hope is obvious is our need to support and invest in the innovation infrastructure here in Silicon Valley and across the Bay Area region and support our entrepreneurs of color and our women entrepreneurs as they seek to access capital and funding. That's a core mission of ours at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, and we look forward to working and partnering with all of you to advance that important cause and catalyze needed change. I am thrilled to announce uh, my colleague, Dr. Brian Brennan, to bring out the moderator for today's program. And again, welcome. Thank you all for joining us. Ahmad, thank you, and everyone welcome. The California Center for Innovation is the Silicon Valley Leadership Group's foundation's effort not to take innovation for granted in California. We do that through data and analytics around emerging technologies, from fintech to automated trucking. We do that through our partnership with the UC Berkeley Goldman School's Cal 100 initiative and their effort to map the technology ecosystem here in California. And finally, we do it through programs like this, where we have the brightest minds in Silicon Valley talking about technology and what it means to our region and our world. Before we get into our program, I want to tip my hat to Karen Tucker and her team at the Churchill Club. As many of you will know, for nearly two decades, the Churchill Club convened conversations just like this with leading uh, thinkers in venture capital. We are building on that legacy and are humbled to stand on their shoulders. Later on in the program, we'll be hearing from trailblazing technology investor Kathy Wood, so please stay tuned for that. But now it is my great honor to introduce the panel that we are going to be listening to right now. First, Ora Adeyemi is Managing Director at HSBC Global. 
His previous firms include Dubai Holdings, Booz Allen Hamilton, and Hewlett Packard. For the last two years, he's been named to the Global Corporate Venture Power List. Aura, welcome and thank you for being here. Also with us is Naveen Chada, Managing Director of the Mayfield Fund. During his venture capital career, Naveen has invested in 50 companies. 17 of those have IPO'd. 25 have been acquired. Overall, his portfolio has created more than $60 billion in equity value and more than 40,000 jobs. Naveen, we're delighted you're here. Thank you. Sarah Goa is general partner at Greylock. Since she joined their investment team in 2013, she's led Greylock's investments in companies from Clubhouse and Clio to Demixta and many others. Her interests range from infrastructure and cybersecurity to artificial intelligence and the future of work. Sarah, thank you for being here. Finally, Byron Dieter is a partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, where he's established himself as a true industry leader in cloud computing. His investments, 14 of those exceed $1 billion in valuation. Eight of those have been IPOs. Byron, we're delighted you're here. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have one of the really great journalists covering venture capital today here with us to moderate this conversation, Candy Chang from Insider. Candy, the floor is yours. Thanks to all of our panelists for being here today. Uh, Before we get into your picks for top tech trends, I'd like to pose a few questions to set the stage a little bit. First question um, is, how has the pandemic year shifted your investment thesis and impacted thought leadership around the trends you plan to present today? We'll go in order of how we are seated. So, are you up first? Well, uh, thank you so much, Candy. It's an honor to be here. Thank you to the organizers. Um, I mean, the pandemic, first of all, I, I mean, I'm grateful to be alive, uh, to see, to be out there, you know, seeing people. This is the first time for me to be actually in a setting like this. Uh, I've been working from home and, you know, communicating with my folks in London for a while. Uh, in terms of how things have uh, shifted for us or how we looked at things, uh, I think initially when the pandemic started, it was a matter of focusing on our portfolio. So there was an emphasis on our portfolio, uh, really understanding what their needs were going to be because you know nobody knew what the future was going to hold. So there was an increased focus on portfolio, not necessarily new investments as such. But over time, the deal started happening. I think about six, seven months uh, into the pandemic, it was clear that you know uh, life was going to go on in terms of uh, in terms of investment. So we're able to get deals done, uh, w- although with you know still the focus on portfolio and making sure that our portfolios were you know had enough sufficient cash uh, because you know in terms of fundraising it could be difficult going forward. Uh, in terms of how the how it's influenced the trend that I'm going to talk about, I think it's influenced it a great deal. It's related to the future of work. Uh, there's been discussions around the great resignation. So I think the pandemic has, I'm just going to have you stay tuned. I'm going to keep you in suspense. But the pandemic has had a major influence on what I'm going to be talking about and around the future of work. Naveen? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Very similar to what was mentioned. Start with money in the ground and make sure which companies are going to survive and be alive. 
uh, get them well financed, and then start looking at what are the new areas. And one of the areas I'm going to talk about is biology. And people have talked about software eating the world. I think biology won't eat the world. It will save the world. And there are many other areas, but I'll let it pass to the other panelists. But that's what I'll focus on today. And you, Sarah? The pandemic has dramatically changed um, you know, the lives of consumers and how we do business, right? I think like many others, we were privileged to realize that tech businesses are among the most resilient when you um, have a, you know, a global crisis like this. So we quickly moved onto the offense, uh, as my fellow panelists have been describing, and then across a huge range of dimensions from, you know, Roblox and Discord and gaming to um, utmost and remotion and the future of work. There are so many dimensions where we think this is just the beginning. As a venture capitalist, you often ask, like, why now? And the why now is obvious for all of these changes now. Byron, I'm going to pose a different question for you. In the spring of 2020, Sequoia Capital sent out a famous memo now, widely circulated memo called the Black Swan. And to everyone's surprise, it actually has been a really good boom cycle for the venture capital industry. So my question to you is, how long do you expect the good times to last? And what has surprised you the most in terms of changes in the industry in the last 18 months? So when to hit sell and when to run. Um, <laughs> Let me. I'll try to answer it from the uh, the fundamentals perspective, and I, I would echo the uh, surprise about if you told us that we were going to have um, the greatest health crisis and economic displacement of our generation, you know, over this 18 month period, and asked us to to guess where the Nasdaq and S and P 500 things would be, I'm pretty sure we all would have missed by a wide mark, uh, and. You know, one of the benefits of, of the government's response and certainly pumping trillions of dollars into the economy is that we've um, at least minimized the economic displacement while dealing with the health crisis. Uh, and that has absolutely been an enabler for a number of tech trends that were already the underpinnings. Um, in my world, cloud computing is where I spend most of my time. And that you know, was a, a pull forward of many years of adoption there. It's very hard to use on-premise software if you're not on-prem. And so uh, those trends will continue. They will persist. They were accelerated, um, and they were amplified by this movement. And those aren't going to change. Um, I, I don't. People talk about, okay, was this a, a once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon, um, and are people going to stop using Zoom? Are they going to stop using DocuSign? Are they going to stop using Twilio or you know, Zendesk or Salesforce? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think those fundamental drivers are going to change. What will change is when um, interest rates go up and when free money uh, gets uh, pulled back, we're going to see a, a dramatic change in multiples. And so um, my hope is that it'll be gradual and that over the coming you know, quarters or um, years, we will see this settling as the economy deals with the, the, the capital influx and you go through this adjustment cycle. Um, but history suggests there will be bumps along the way. And so um, from our standpoint, we're definitely heads down and aggressively investing, thinking long-term, um, because we're not public market traders, but very mindful that the exit scenarios for today's new investments will probably be very different from, um, you know, the Toast IPO of last week, which was incubated in our office and, you know, the biggest vertical SaaS I- uh, software IPO in history. Um, we never would have expected the Huge multiples would be trading at. Yes. Naveen, you wrote, um, you recently wrote a very thoughtful piece called, uh, What is Happening to Risk-Taking and Venture Capital? I'll let you quickly summarize it, but Sarah, I wanted to get your reaction because Greylock just raised 
$500 million to focus on seed deals, and now you're completely competing directly with Naveen. So I wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on his piece. I think we're cooperating. This will be good. <laughs> yeah. We're cooperating. The market Let's go. is big yeah. enough. Yeah. The market is big enough, yeah. right? I, I appreciate that, Kenny, but I'd start with uh, Naveen's yes. premise. Yeah. is like uh, the, the trigger for us to, we are not asset gatherers, right? Um, and the trigger for us to go raise additional capital to focus on day one investing is we saw more and more opportunity. We saw the ambitions of entrepreneurs grow. And we wanted to declare, like, there is actually a way to partner with a venture firm very early in your life cycle where, you know, the environment is very different than it was nine years ago when I started a venture. Um, uh, one could say that capital is increasingly commoditized, but partnership is not, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, it was a time for us to put a mark in the ground that, you know, we are here to be early stage investors. Like, you know, the first premise is we want to be in the fundamental technology companies of the future. Mm-hmm. Within that, we'd prefer to be early stage investors. Investors, since where we focus our practice, and like we want to do that more than we have been, and to like continue to declare like that's that's our place in the ecosystem. I think Naveen and I are probably in agreement on a yeah, lot of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the purpose uh, of my observation was um, it was primarily to all the blogs that were going out on it's the end of venture capital. Actually, it's not. Right? This is one of the best times where innovation is happening everywhere. The technology industry is like the grocery industry. Every company mm-hmm. is a tech company. And there are new inflections which are happening there. But then with so much money coming in into the industry, what I realized after looking at the data, which is pretty obvious, the money was going into follow-on companies, which were momentum companies. Half a million companies got formed um, between the second quarter of 2020 to second quarter of this year. But then if you look at over the last five years, money has doubled or tripled into the venture industry. But angel deals are down. Seed deals are flat. Early stage investments are flat in numbers. And overall deals are only up from 10,000 to 12,000. So it's time for prominent Sandhill firms like people who are here to go do back to their roots, and do what we do well. And I think uh, after this post, I don't know, A16Z announced a $400 million fund. Greylock announced a $500 million fund. And I think there are many more to come. So at least that trend went right. All He's right. got one. It's yeah. not the end of ca- venture capital as we know it today. So let's get down to our trends. But before we turn to the panelists, um, I want to bring in our audience who are with us both here in person. I'm so excited about that. And also online virtually. We want to know which trends you think will be one of the top trends over the next year. So if you're in person, please scan the QR code you see listed on these screens here. For our audience who are participating virtually, please use the polling link we provided in the chat to make your selection, and we will share all of the responses at the end of this program. Uh, We want to hear from our experts now. We have asked each of you to identify the top tech trend that will have the most meaningful impact in the next four to five years. Each panelist will have up to four minutes to make their case, and then we will have a debate, an agreement or disagreement on whether each trend um, will last for the long run. Uh, Each panelist will then have a minute to explain their reaction. At the end of this program, the audience will also have the opportunity to rank the trends themselves and vote. Now to our first trend. Uh, Ore Adeyami, we are all ears. Reminder, you have four minutes. No pressure. 
So do we have uh, the PowerPoint slides? But I could, I could do without as well. Uh, so, okay. Oh, there we go. Uh, so the trend I'm going to talk about is uh, co-creator economy 2.0, beyond the side hustle. Uh, first of all, when I heard uh, about the topic, non-obvious trend, uh, I was a bit, I struggled a bit, really, uh, thinking about if it is a trend, uh, shouldn't it be obvious in the first place? But great you know, kudos to the organizers. I love the challenge. So here it goes. So co-creator economy 2.0, the side hustle. Do you all remember when LinkedIn was just a digital version of your business card? That was it. It was just about the job that you were doing. Then now LinkedIn is about content. There's inspiration. There's motivation. There's education. A lot of learning. Uh, emotion. Listen, I've you know, read some LinkedIn posts where I've shed a few tears, frankly. Um, but I find that fascinating. But what's even more interesting is the way people describe themselves. So let's take this. We have this principal engineer uh, at a big tech firm. Let's call it Cisco. I'm not picking up Cisco. Uh, she's an engineer. She's a board advisor. She's uh, an entrepreneur. She's an influencer. It's just amazing how she describes herself. And this, frankly, people, it's not an identity crisis. It's real. It's the side hustle. That's what it's about. It's a side hustle. It's not just driving Uber that is a side hustle, but these are the things that are happening that people are doing and legitimately doing it. So what are the key drivers? You know all the stats around uh, the gig economy, you know the stats about people wanting uh, you know, to do more freelancing, more freedom around work. But the conversation has shifted to the great resignation. That's been the narrative over the past one year, where because people want to do different things, they, if they, the office or their job does not allow them to do it, they're going to go on and you know, get another job. But I don't think, moving on to the next slide, please, sorry. Move on to the next slide. Okay. You'll get back uh, in it. Okay, I get it. <laughs> so it's not about the great resignation. I actually think it's about the great uh, liberation. Just keep going. Just keep going to the next slide. It's about the great liberation. And this great liberation is what is you know, fueling what I call this co-creation economy. So what is this co-creation economy? Is the whole idea of people that are not leaving their jobs but looking to co-create, working with founders, working with other startups, so please go to the last slide so I can show it. So we have platforms like Grupa, Object Astra, where individuals are now co-creating, building new companies, helping find the next big thing without leaving their jobs. So you have my principal engineer who's at Cisco or could be at Facebook who's co-creating with another founder. She's well paid. She's not looking to leave her job. And that's a trend that we're beginning to see. So what do I find exciting about this? It's not just that there are platforms like Grupa uh, happening. I don't know how many minutes I have left. Uh, but you don't have platforms like Grupa, just platforms like Grupa. But we're going to have new opportunities coming into play. Think about it. I'm a fintech investor. I'm investing in you know, technology around financial services. 30 more seconds. I invest in technology around financial services. But there will be platforms that support this trend around co-creation where this engineer is going to have more than one job. She's not going to leave her job to be a founder, and she's going to work 
of course, there are issues that we have to deal with, issues around IP, issues around conflicts of interest. So lawyers amongst you, billable hours will come your way, I guarantee that. But this is going to be a great thing. It's already happening with likes of Grupa. I'm excited about it, and it's going to change the game over the next three to five years. Thank you. Thank you so much, our HSBC Ventures. Now, panelists, this is the fun part. You get to vote now. Do you agree or disagree with his predictions? Hold up your card. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) It's more fun to disagree. Mm, Love this. (laughs) Let's see. Which one is a better Choose color? carefully, Nabeem. I just invest in a company in this team, so we've got to. Okay, I'm going to go with this agreement first. I, I think you're, you're super close to the <laughs> thesis we, we love, but um, I think of it as more future of work to unlocking the potential. Y- yes, for the part- part-timers, but even more important to unlock that for your actual job, for your real employment, you know, happier, more productive, more engaged. And so the, the part that I didn't like about that was this idea of like uh, monetizing the side hustle, and the idea of, of people having um, really I- encouraging the four jobs or the double jobs and those sorts of things, um, I think that's o- I fear that's overthinking it. Where really what you what is so compelling about this and a lot of those companies I completely think are on trend is this idea of of supercharging the knowledge worker wherever they may be, um, you know, taking out a lot of those barriers and then certainly unlocking the creator economy in that way. Um, but uh, you know, I fear you're overthinking it by a step unnecessarily. Do you want a rebuttal? Um, I, I think, I mean, I, I obviously disagree. <laughs> but I, I think the way it's going to work, maybe it's not going to be four jobs, it's going to be two jobs. And I actually believe that the big tech firms might get in on this as well. So if, you know, I've had people pitch to me and I go, well, don't you still work at Cakebook? And they say, yes, I'm working there. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm still involved in this project. And they are, you know, I have their blessing to do that as well. So it's not, I don't think, this is not the gig economy. This is not people, uh, you know, advising. This is just, you know, very select co-creation happening uh, that is beyond advisory. And what's driving it? It's not going to be, you know, it's not just like a usual side hustle where you just want to get paid or supplement your income. This is really true value creation. But maybe not four jobs, but I can see two opportunities. I wouldn't even call them jobs. Sarah, you hold up the green. So do you want to back up his thesis for us? Uh, yeah. So, you know, what, what Ori describes, um, I actually think if you look at it from the, like, the individual's perspective and then the business's perspective, um, just like media companies have multiple business models, individuals, they see themselves as having, you know, multiple dimensions that they're going to go um, get economic value out of. And one of the things that I, I see is companies are more and more interested in the dimensions of like every person that works for them beyond you know, their core work, right? And an example would be, I really believe in community-driven growth as a trend, right? And one, th- one thing that we see now in our portfolio companies is they will hire people who have social media followings, who create content, who um, uh, have a network where they're teaching other people a skill because of that side hustle, right? Because of their influence within a community. And, and so I'd say like sometimes these things do not have to be in disagreement. Great. Let's move on to our next trend from Naveen, um, who is a managing director at Mayfield. You have four minutes. Absolutely. If we could get the slides up. 
So my prediction is biology is the technology platform that will not only save the world, but also reinvent several trillion dollar industries. So if you could go to slide two. We all know our world is in crisis. It's been seen with climate change and global warming. There is melting of glaciers, devastating floods, forest fires, still in the middle of the COVID-19 tragedy. And then we have a huge problem. With the growing population and the wealth that is being created, economists fear in order to keep up with the demand and consumption, you need the natural resources equivalent to five Earths. Mm. So what's the solution? We can't have five Earths. Maybe with some of the rockets, we can get <laughs> to another Earth. But let's look at... So first of all, uh, VC's job is to dream about the future, and so do entrepreneurs. But what I did is in picking eight examples where biology platforms are being used, this is all work that is happening at seed state startups, mm-hmm. academic institutions ready to be commercialized, and at research labs. I don't need to talk about health. That's an obvious application of biology. We saw it with mRNA, and there will be many, many new things which will get created. Food 1.0 has already happened, where there is meat and milk without the cow. Now we're going to enter food 2.0, where you'll be actually able to have tasty meat using biofarming, which uses regenerative incubation. There is work on eco-conscious materials from seafood, sorry, from seaweeds to fiber uh, to building concrete, which is carbon negative, to even building sneakers with biopolymers. Similarly, there's furniture being built without wood from the trees with wood substitutes. These things exist. Mm -hmm. There's fashion with leather from mushrooms. Now, whether it happens or not, Mm -hmm. the pilots of those things are happening. Uh, Clean beauty is happening where facial creams and skincare creams are being created using bioproteins. There's even work happening with companies on ocean agriculture where you can grow crops in high salt conditions And finally, call me crazy, uh, not me, the entrepreneur who's working on this that came and pitched me, that he thinks that in a single DNA the size of a cube of sugar, you can store as much information as that in a data center. Mm. Now, some of these things could take 10 years. That's the job of a VC. But I think many of them will get to a point where we'll be able to feel and touch it over the next three to four years. If you go to the last slide, uh, for people who are entrepreneurs, bio-entrepreneurs come from everywhere. Um, They are scientists, they're in any region, they're entrepreneurs, and it's been an honor to work with some of these on this slide. And I really want to honor each of these people for the work they're doing to change the world and make it a better place. Thank you. Thank you so much, Naveen. Now, panelists, please raise your card in agreement or disagreement on this thesis, which, again, is biology will save the world. Whoa, okay. It's good. Let's go. Let's go. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, and maybe uh, you didn't judge me on this, uh, <laughs> but I'm judging you on this. I totally agree with everything Naveen said, but the issue with it is I think it's obvious. 
this uh, it's the it's the non-obvious bit that, that I struggle with because mm. I I totally see it. There are companies that are doing this uh, already. So is it sort of something we're not? I think it's more or less even mainstream now. So that's it. Uh, I do agree <laughs> with everything you said. Okay, that's so, good. So I give you a red on the technicality. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's it. Good. Sarah, you also disagreed. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of similar. Um, like, I want to believe in Naveen's future, and I do. Like, we just invested in an AI-driven bio company that I'm thrilled about. But uh, I think that, you know, the devil's in the details with a lot of venture, right? And the time scale of three to five years does not match the cost curve for um, what I think is going to make bio in many of these industries or the innovations that bio entrepreneurs bring mm. competitive. Okay. Ten years, you're right. Why don't, why don't we have one on your side here? Uh, he, he's we're all in. We manage billions of dollars. <laughs> we have an active healthcare and biotech uh, practice. So my partner is uh, uh, Steve Krauss and Andrew Hedin agree violently. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double click on one of those sub-segments. I, I think the, the hard part, and uh, or certainly to your point, um, it's a massive market and, and uh, it's obvious, but also wildly hard to figure out, you know, what are the sub themes there. And so we love that entrepreneurs out there are, are fighting these fights and, uh, you know, want to talk to them. Maybe any last words? Yeah, absolutely. I think the science part of it is still unproven. Mm. The applications are obvious, but it's going to take time for these things to happen, because as you mentioned, scaling and capital is going to be a huge issue. Mm. So I think if I go back and dream, it's possible, but so is every software company. Mm. But genius is only 1% inspiration, which is what I was showing, it's 99% perspiration. So if I look at it 10 to 15 years, will the world get there? I think half of it will come true. But in the next three to four years, it's going to be challenging, mm. right? So it's going to be a balanced thing that we see end up happening. If I recall correctly, you said climbing Mount Everest is your tagline, right? Yep. <laughs> Sarah, let's go to you next. Um, it's your turn to present your, your trends. You are general partner at Greylock. Could we do slides, please? I'll try to remember to <laughs> give a little bit of um, headroom on it. Uh, Okay, so the climate crisis is not new, and it's not at all obvious that we're at a turning point. Actually, if you even say the words clean tech in a venture boardroom, several experienced partners will spontaneously combust in panic. <laughs> I've done this. Um, but I think in the next three to five years, software will supercharge sustainability. Uh, slide, please. So climate is an acute problem. Five of the last six... Um, largest wildfires in California happened in 2020 um, for the history that we have on record since 1932. Uh, these wildfires, droughts, floods, storms, um, sinking cities, like these are not risks we predict for 2050. They're happening as crises today. At the same time, uh, a lot of the key sustainable technologies are finally competitive. They've come down that cost curve that Naveen and I were just talking about. A sol solar photovoltaic electricity went from four times as expensive as natural gas uh, a decade ago to uh, cost competitive. And with um, lithium-ion batteries, a quarter of the cost they were a decade ago, Tesla has become the fastest-growing car manufacturer in the world. And their batteries finally outlive the human bladder. <laughs> <laughs> 
investors are an important part of this mix. And I don't mean us, VCs. I mean the large institutional investors who hold a huge swath of the debt and equity of every large corporate. JP Morgan, America's biggest bank, said earlier this year that they're going to commit a trillion dollars toward financing green initiatives over the next decade. A trillion dollars. Just as important is their push for uh, sustainability disclosure. So if you look back at 2012, 20% of the S&P 500 published a sustainability report. Last year, that number had crossed 90%. This is a big difference. Mm. Naysayers will say, uh, you know, they'll cry greenwashing. They'll point out that this self-reporting is incomplete and it's unaudited. And they're right, but it's a good start. And we're in the middle of a tidal wave of change in terms of standardization and regulation of this reporting. In March of this year, the EU's um, sustainability disclosure, uh, financial, financial sustainability disclosure regulation came into force. It's a mouthful, but it means that we are going to see standardization around this. And then the important thing as well is that this is mainstream with consumers. Mm. Um, it's not just the Greta Thunbergs of the world. It's everyone, especially the younger generation. McKinsey research will show that brands that market as sustainable are growing five to six times the speed of the average brand in market. So this matters from a business perspective and sets the foundation for now that we have some of the hard tech for the easy tech, the software to accelerate the transition. How does this happen? So businesses, you know, because of cloud computing, because of um, the ability to collect data, they're operating more and more online and transacting with the rest of the value chain online. That means they're more traceable in terms of their impact. Because the collection of that data and the analysis of that data has become so much more sophisticated, like, we actually know what that means in terms of impact. We, it's transparent what the sustainability impact of any business is. Um, and, and we know what levers companies can pull to change their sustainability profile. I think after data comes actual change, right? Environmental mitigation. And here, um, I think that can be mediated by the internet, a technology we already have. It's amazing for connecting unknown actors in transactions, right? You and I, we can go and book a house in a foreign country from somebody we don't know because we trust Airbnb to vet that home. We trust our fellow travelers to leave reliable reviews. Uh, and it's created this whole class of new real estate entrepreneurs. I think the same will happen in sustainability, where the better the marketplace is, the more people will choose environmental mitigation efforts, right? And so we'll be able to um, plant a tree with every purchase on Shopify uh, or uh, monitor carbon projects remotely. You cannot manage what you don't measure. And this time, we actually have the data, I think that software will supercharge sustainability and it will enable you know, the energy transition by giving people the incentives, the insights, and the choices to make that transition happen, hopefully fast enough. Thank you so much. Now, panelists, please raise your cards in agreement or disagreement to Sarah's trends. Could we do orange? Orange. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Uh, that's yeah. exactly what orange for me too. Okay. So, Byron, what did you say? Oh, I, I, I really hope you're right. Um, and yet, every time I, I, I see these, uh, you know, Bitcoin discussions about how, uh, you know, money versus environmental impact, um, it's just such a frustrating discussion. Uh, there will definitely be great businesses that are created um, and do good on these trends. 
And I think you're right that the data, the software layer, et cetera, is, is the underlying enabler. Um, the, the three pillar areas didn't totally land with me and the idea of, you know, the, the marketplace notion and the, the data orientation, those things. Um, it, I'm just, I'm not seeing the pull yet and I'm seeing people come at it from a cost-based perspective of compliance or, you know, check the box. Um, and, uh, and that's frustrating, but, um, I, I hope and think probably at the core, you're right, that the market needs to get there because our planet needs it too. And so maybe it's not in three years, but hopefully the trend is there. Naveen? Yeah, so I think uh, I want it to happen, right? It intuitively makes sense. But having invested, as you mentioned, right, like 10 years back in clean tech and then haven't seen this movie, people do a lot of talk about ESG and they talk about sustainability. But when it comes to writing the checks and the economic impact and the ROI, things get delayed. So there has to be a pressing event. Mm-hmm. Am I going to get fired if I am not following something? So that's the place where I um, feel red, right, on the market timing, because we believe this is going to be a trend. But why now? At least we haven't been able to answer that. I'm actually very curious to hear your thoughts because you're the only corporate here. Yes, and we are very active in this space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that could have been your slide, Sarah, could have been a slide for my IC, <laughs> really. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, HSBC, one of, you know, probably the world's largest trade bank, most of the trade that happens globally passes through HSBC. So for us, sustainability is a key thing, ESG, not just the environment, but even the social and the governance as well. So the points that, you know, Sarah touched on around data, transparency, marketplaces, we're already investing in companies. So I'll give you an example. There's a company called Myotech, started by uh, some grads here from Stanford and Columbia, Based in, they're, they're based in Hong Kong now, and where they're able to gather uh, ESG data uh, of uh, you know, companies in Asia, Chinese companies. Mm-hmm. And that information is being used by asset managers. So we have asset managers at HSBC being able to ingest uh, uh, that information to make decisions on where to place uh, their bets. So data, I think, is a big area around ESG. Uh, transparency is another bit. You know, we have a company that is sort of affiliated with HSBC called Sarai as well. All right, it we're, sounds like you agree with me. I, I, I do, I do. That's why I, I agree with you. No, no, it's, no. We, Where's I, the rest? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I, I totally agree with you. And it's like, I'm saying we're doing it. That's, that's my point. And just like you, we invested, you know, ten, you know we invested in the likes of Bloom, uh, invested, you know, which you know, turned out okay. We invested also in uh, uh, one that didn't turn out okay, which was before its time. So, but I think things have changed. Um, the our customers are, are demanding for it. Uh, it's important that we have that transparency. So, uh, the the areas, marketplaces, data. Uh, I, I totally agree with you that uh, you know it's a space where. Uh, we're going to continue to see companies and corporates uh, have uh, taken uh, the lead on this. So for, for one, for one I, I actually feel that I'm a bit ahead of the traditional VCs this time around. So That's great. Yeah. Sarah, do you have any last words? Rebuttal? Yeah, I, I would say, so a um, friend of mine who's a, you know, a venture capitalist who's been through a few more cycles and I have said, like, you should figure out with any technology if it's still with the physicists if it's with the engineers or if it's with this, like, you know, just us layman software people, right? And you invest in the last bucket because that's the timing that you can control. 
Um, and I think that's really interesting because like, I'm betting that enough of these technologies have come to a point in the cost curve and enough of the investor base and the consumer base cares um, for us to like, make a big difference and perhaps make a killing as investors. Um, but I'd also say, you know, with full recognition, um, perhaps the future belongs to the uh, unscarred optimists who did not invest in Solyndra, right? Um, and, and we'll see. <laughs> Okay. Well, we and will many see. others. <laughs> Last but not least, Brian Dieter, you're up next. Remember, you have four minutes. Okay. Well, I think uh, the setup's been good because um, I'm going to make an appeal uh, back to real tech and um, build off of Naveen's point of the absence of early stage seed and Sarah's setup with the uh, do you want the uh, easy software or do you want the physicist and chemist? Um, and I'm going to appeal to the physicists and chemists out there, but hopefully also the investors, by saying um, that the over-rotation to the easy um, has left a pretty big void in real fundamental innovation. And um, the categories that I would highlight, um, cloud computing is at our core, but if we uh, take it a level up to uh, space um, within uh, the rocket space, um, this year we've seen um, Rocket Lab um, SpaceX, et cetera, have uh, immense success, but also then the sensors and observation stacks, um, companies like Spire starting to show what's possible there. Um, uh, Boom Supersonic, uh, which is attempting, you know, for com uh, commercial flight. Um, then if you go down into uh, the food tech science areas that we've touched on, plant-based, cell-based meats, that you're starting to see um, a complete disruption in what's possible in the supply chain there, but again, still upstream science that's underway. Uh, if we think more broadly in terms of uh, what's possible in the compute side, I think there's a very clear case that quantum computing could become the most fundamental innovation of the century, and we're on the cusp of some, you know, crazy science um, that's happening there. Um, those are innovations that are completely <laughs> non-obvious, unproven, and, and mathematically the vast majority of them will fail. Um, but if one of those works, um, it will be transformative to our, uh, to our generation, um, and we're on the cusp of that. Um, and I'd also put power back in there. It's a segment that's been abandoned largely, um, but battery tech, nuclear tech, um, power is power. And when you think about the problems that our world is facing um, and the magnitude of the prize for success, I absolutely believe within your three-year horizon, investments could be made now at the science level that will be entering commercialization that will have then uh, appreciation to justify the capital um, to take them to market mm -hmm. and achieve you know, meaningful financial milestones in the medium term with immense prizes in the long term that you know, make the, the software things that we do often day in, day out um, seem trivial in terms of dollars and in terms of impact. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That's Byron from Basmo Venture Partners. Now, panelists, let's vote one more time. Uh, agree or disagree on Byron's trends here. <laughs> this makes it more fun. All right, Sarah, oh, go first. Let's do Sarah first oh, and then the right, beans. <laughs> oh, of course you're right, but that's my issue, right? Like you're making a bet on <laughs> fundamental innovation. Will there be fundamental innovations across this broad set of categories that's super important to the world over the next three years? Absolutely. And I hope you and I get some of them, but it is obvious. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the technical warming up, guys. I think I learned something. But some... you just said it's not obvious. You said you don't bet on the physicist. You bet on the. Oh, no, no, no. I said somebody gave me this advice. Okay, so I'm, okay. you know, it's in an area like climate where everybody's so, like, boo. I feel like you have to so make it feasible. My esteemed panelists just told me 
<laughs> My answer is very similar, right, like to her. I didn't realize it has to be obvious that it's going to happen. The only other thing where I would disagree is, and it's going to happen in biology too, in three years, a lot of this stuff may not commercialize because these are not engineering problems in some of these areas. This is not like fixing software. Even chips take more than three years, right? So generally what you're saying, completely agree, but in three years... I don't know. But I 100% agree that whether it's chemistry for batteries, whether it's physics and biologists, that's where we need to be innovating as an industry. I should clarify the rules are three to five years. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Well, and hey. Byron's going to get marked up on the line anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, so you had me here. <laughs> then and then when you I switched. Heard quantum computing, uh, that's when you got me. Um, so uh, I think you're right. Uh, and you know, looking at it from financial services, the, the, the use cases that we're seeing in that space, um, largely unproven, but you'll be shocked. Things are happening even on a daily basis. So spending, I you know, and my team, we're spending quite a lot of time with uh, companies in that space and applicability to financial services and markets, even around cybersecurity as well. Um, that's one of the conversations I had early this morning uh, with one of the big uh, quantum computing companies. So I think, you know, everyone's been talking about QC as, you know, 10 years from now, but I think the three to five year, we will see uh, some proven technology that will be brought to market. You want any fi- final thoughts? Uh, so <laughs> I, I agree with the objections um, <laughs> in the sense that uh, you hope to have milestones in the medium term. Yeah. that justify continued investment and appreciation. You know, I, I'm on the board of a SELA Nanotechnologies in the battery tech space. They're 10 years old and just released Cells on Shelves product. It's an amazing innovation, but it's three times longer than, you know, we expected to get there. Um, this stuff's hard, and we have multiple quantum computing investments right now, um, and the bet is that in, in three years they will have achieved such amazing milestones that it will justify continued investment. Um, but uh, in terms of the arc of their impact, you know, Naveen's absolutely right that y- you have to be long-term believers. And, hey, it's, it's contrarian and, and not easy in the sense of um, in the venture world, it's a lot easier to go do another, you know, consumer app that will get marked up 100% in a year and, and um, you know, you, you can move on. But um, it's less fun uh, at times. And, and I do think that the world needs more um, more true risk capital and more true risk entrepreneurs out there to do the fundamental innovation. Agree. Thank you so much for a great discussion. Um, round of applause, everyone. I just thank you so much for putting this together. It'll be super interesting to see which one the audience will vote on. So this brings me to my next point. Um, we have another vote now uh, on which of these trends that were just presented uh, will be the most impactful. So the question is up. Uh, QR code on the screen. Please vote on the trend that best matches the following criteria. Compelling, non-obvious, and a short-term, a relatively short-term time frame, three to five years of being realized. This is where Sarah's bots are voting now. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't call me on it. Okay, so the instructions are there for those, again, who are joining us virtually. Uh, you should have a link to vote virtually uh, in the chat box. Uh, the, the results we will reveal at the very end of this program. 
I am now pleased to introduce to uh, our special guest, Kathy Wood, who is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of ARC Invest, with over 40 years of experience identifying and investing in tech and innovation, Kathy founded ARC to solely focus on disruptive innovations while adding new dimensions to her research. Kathy will be joined by Jeff Thomas, who is NASDAQ's Senior Vice President and Head of Western U.S. Listings and Capital Markets. Jeff, Kathy, we're looking forward to your conversation. Take it away. Thanks so much. Kathy, thanks for joining us. Where are you uh, in the world today? I am in uh, Florida, St. Petersburg, Florida, which, believe it or not, is becoming a hotbed of innovation. It really is. We've seen a lot of uh, the migration out of Silicon Valley uh, during the pandemic and, you know, definitely broadening the reach where all the, the venture capitalists have to spend their time. No longer are people making the trudge up and down uh, Sand Hill Road. Uh, a lot of virtual Zoom meetings for sure. Indeed. Well, Kathy, we're so uh, excited to hear your thoughts on some of these technology trends that we've been going through today. So let's start with the trends that were laid out by the panel. Uh, which of the trends resonated the most with you? Well, I, I think um, because of the v convergences between and among technologies, I think the most unexpected outcomes are going to be in the genomic space. Uh, so we've got the convergence of DNA sequencing, artificial intelligence, gene editing, and other gene therapies that are going to cure disease. And I think what's unexpected also, now we're in the public equity markets, what's unexpected about this is there are a lot of large biotech companies that have been embracing these technologies, their returns on investment have suffered during the last 20 years. They've gone from 20, 30% to 7% on average. And we believe that the combination of these technologies, even for those big companies, we're not talking about the, the, the startups here and the younger companies could return to the golden age of the 80s and 90s, those 20 30% returns. So it's pretty provocative and life-changing uh, as well. We're going to cure disease. And for the first time, because of this convergence of technologies, uh, we're going to be applying real science to healthcare decision-making. So it's it's pretty exciting. And I think the, the setup here is most of the analysts, certainly in the public markets, are used to interpreting every word of the FDA, phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, technology is going to blow through that model and uh, you know, uh, create a completely different paradigm. So when you think about some of the, the technologies that these companies are using, is there uh, just as big an opportunity for the companies that are supplying that technology to those biotech companies? Or do you think most of the gains will accrue to the, the biotech companies themselves? Oh, no, no, no. The ecosystem here is enormous. Uh, the tools companies are very important. DNA sequencing and really... Um, the baton is shifting from short read sequencing to long read sequencing, uh, which is much more accurate, much more comprehensive. So uh, the decision making is going to be that much better. Today, we heard about uh, results from a company named Freenome uh, in the liquid biopsy space. Um, now, pancreatic cancer is the deadliest cancer out there, meaning 
once uh, people find out they have it, it's usually stage three or four, and it's very aggressive. This company now is able to identify through liquid biopsy and artificial intelligence, critically, pancreatic cancer in stage one. So really life-changing. And and we do believe in the future that because of artificial intelligence, um, we will be able to understand when our genomes are going to start um, uh, uh, misfiring, uh, you know, mis- that there will be programming errors, that, that the body sets up for programming errors. AI will be able to identify that. So wouldn't it be amazing to understand that we are preventing cancer before stage one? We believe that's going to happen. That's fantastic. So it sounds like biology will save the world is probably your, your top pick. Let's head on a couple of the others here. So on software for sustainability, obviously, non-financial metrics, especially ESG data, is uh, a very hot topic in the world of public investing right now. What do you see in terms of innovations in that space? Well, we uh, just, with Square, ARK Invest held a conference called The B Word, uh, all about Bitcoin and uh, the issues, uh, including environmental, that um, that uh, m- many ESG advocates were having with Bitcoin. And uh, uh, according to our research, again, this is going to be another convergence of technologies where um, we believe that utility um, ecosystems, merchant power producers, utilities themselves, um, will probably find it in their interests economically to um, uh, in in the event in the event that there's too much sun or too much wind wind let the overflow of that power help them uh, mine Bitcoin and actually accelerate the advent of solar. So I agree. Um, we we have never invested in solar uh, and are just now getting interested in it because the economics are there. We don't need subsidies. And we actually think that Bitcoin, uh, as a part of an energy ecosystem, could contribute to sustainability by accelerating the proliferation of solar and wind. Yeah, I mean, that's always been the the challenge with those sources of energy is the temporal nature. And of course, uh, you know, we just talked a little bit with Byron about uh, the some of the cool technology trends in batteries and storage. I know that's an area you've been focused on. Um, what do you see happening there? Oh, it, well, uh, ARK Invest is uh, probably recognized for two things. One is Tesla and one is Bitcoin, for better or for worse. We do so much more than that. But um, we have learned so much from the controversy and from our research, of course, uh, around uh, Tesla. Um, uh from this is one of the most exciting um, areas for investing. May not be curing disease, but it's going to create a huge uh, amount of revenue. Uh, so here's a here's an example of another convergence between and among technologies: autonomous taxi networks, and we do believe those will be with us within the next five years. Elon would say. Tomorrow, we would say uh, probably within the next 18 months. Um, And the the convergence of uh, 
uh, of three of our major platforms are going to create, we believe, 10 to $12 trillion in revenues globally uh, in the next 10 years from zero today. Uh, so what is this convergence? Autonomous taxi networks are the convergence of our robotics platform. Autonomous vehicles are robots. Uh, energy storage, they will be electric. And artificial intelligence, they'll be powered by artificial intelligence. That combination is going to reduce transportation costs dramatically. Uh, by our estimates, uh, at scale, it would be possible to drop transportation costs from 70 cents per mile in our own vehicles today, all in, everything, insurance, depreciation, everything, uh, to 25 cents. Now, the convenience factor, however... Uh, associated with autonomous travel, we don't have to. We don't have to drive. We can uh, work or whatever. Means that the the the, the um, we won't have to cut costs. We believe down to that level. So we believe that this is a ten to twelve trillion dollar opportunity, and probably the biggest opportunity is in the U.S. Uh, in China right now, which is the other country racing towards this new world. Uh, their Uber uh, costs are very low right now compared to ours, maybe uh, a quarter of ours. So, so the returns to this investment here in the United States are going to be much higher. Uh, so we're very excited about that opportunity. And it all started with batteries. Well, and it, the other thing it could accelerate, obviously, a lot of um, folks are putting out uh, mandates or, or goals in terms of getting to more electric vehicles. Obviously, if you can get people out of their old gas guzzlers and taking these uh, electric autonomous taxis, you could accelerate that change as well. Well, uh, and that's a really good point because uh, the capacity utilization of a personal car is 4 to 5%. The capacity utilization of an autonomous electric vehicle will be 50 to 60%. And so uh, what this means is the percentage of vehicle miles traveled in electric vehicles is going to accelerate much faster than than expected. This is not about share of cars sold that are electric. This is about autonomous vehicles that will be electric. It's going to be the cheaper way to go. Uh, so absolutely, we think uh, uh, the future is bright. So we've hit on AI, robotics, energy storage, blockchain, DNA sequencing, all your kind of key platforms. You know, I'm sure you like children love these, love them all the most. But is there anyone that you're most excited about right now? Well, I mentioned genomics mostly because uh, in the beginning, mostly because of how profoundly it's going to impact our lives. Um, think about that. First time ever, just because it's possible with the technologies and the costs of the technologies. Those are the most the two most important variables. Uh, we're going to be able to uh, understand, we have 6 billion bits of code in our genomes. We could not understand before where the programming errors were. Where was the needle in the haystack? It wasn't possible. 
Uh, and it was because it was too expensive and the technologies weren't ready. Now the technologies are ready and we can do this for $500 in a few hours of computing power. This is going to be ubiquitous and is going to transform uh, transform our lives and the access to it is going to be profound as well. Uh, a lot of people think that technology increases the divide between those who have and those who have not. I don't think that's true. Cell phones tell us it's not true. And this will be another example. That's fantastic. So on the, the panel today, we talked about tech trends that we're going to hit and change things in the next three to five years. If we look out farther, say to 2035, what other technology trends do you think are going to come up in the next 15 years uh, that maybe we haven't talked about just yet? Well, a lot of so so uh, our five major innovation platforms are DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology. Underlying them are fourteen technologies, fourteen different technologies, all of which are operating at a very low base right now. But with time, what we're going to see, and I'm going to come back to this idea of convergence, we're going to see one S-curve feeding another S-curve feeding another S-curve. And that's going to create explosive growth, explosive energy. Uh, so I think if, if I am correct in um, the way that uh, investors both public and private are looking at the future. They're, they're not yet incorporating the convergence of these technologies and what the impact of one S curve feeding another is going to be. I think also, uh, the, uh, quantum computing, uh, for years now, probably 20 years, um, I've been going to conferences, talking to professors who have devoted their lives to quantum computing. And they always said, no matter when in the last 20 years, oh, it's at least 10 years away, at least 10 years away. What has happened recently is we are seeing little quantum machines. They're actually starting to happen now. So I still think it's 10 years away, but we have to take it very seriously because it will upend everything that we understand about technology now. And then the other point that I, uh, I would make, I think uh, someone on the panel referenced it, I think nuclear is going to make a comeback. And um, part of it is ESG related. Uh, on, during our B Word conference, Elon Musk said, you know, I think, I think nuclear is, um, is it, we got to go nuclear. And of course, in the ESG world, that has been anathema uh, because of Fukushima and all of the accidents. But now the technologies have evolved. They're more modular, uh, more environmentally friendly. Um, and we had done work 10, 15 years ago uh, uh, suggesting that this was the safest energy source, meaning number of accidents, and the cleanest energy source. So uh, I would uh, I would focus on nuclear. I think a little bit more than than people are right now. So as you look at the the fourteen underlying technologies of your your five key investment platforms, how often do you refresh that? And then when do you look at you know new technologies that should be added into that? What's that process look like? Well, what's what's interesting about this moment in history is the seeds for it 
were planted during the 20 years that ended in the tech and telecom bubble. And of course, that ended badly. The reason it ended badly is the technologies were not ready. So Oracle and Cisco were not going to lead us into the brave new world. In fact, they fought cloud computing uh, every step of the way and software-defined networks. And uh, the costs were just way too high. Um, So it has taken 20 to 25 years of gestation uh, for for these technologies to evolve to a point where they're ready for prime time and for the cost to drop low enough. Uh, so I think the 14 that, that, that we have, I, I'll rattle some of them off. So it's adaptive robotics. Some of these are incorporated into the platforms themselves. They're all, they are all, but they are the same wording. 3D printing, autonomous mobility, battery systems, cloud computing, neural networks, frictionless value transfer, so digital wallets, uh, blockchain technology, mobile connected devices, Internet of Things, reusable rockets, sequencing technology, gene editing, and immunotherapy. Um, the seeds for those were planted a long time ago. And I, I believe what, and I'm sure they're going to spawn even more innovation. An innovation platform, from our point of view, uh, meets three characteristics one, learning curves, uh, which are characterized by cost declines. Two, they cut across economic sectors, meaning they're going to become very big ideas. And three, they're launching pads for more innovation. So we're looking to these major platforms for the next sources of um, uh, innovation. Meanwhile, they're ready for prime time. And I think the big story of the next 10 to 15 years is the convergence between and among these technologies that are not only going to create explosive growth and exponential growth trajectories, but will also, and, and, and this is very important, cause a lot of creative destruction. And I believe that investors who have been um, aligned with the big benchmarks out there are, are going to have to do, uh, are going to have to reassess. And I know that uh, NASDAQ has the next generation of leaders, which is a great idea after the NASDAQ 100, uh, because we think that's where the action is going to be. Well, and last question. So on the, the topic of the NASDAQ 100, you know, we obviously have all the, the FANG stocks that everybody knows listed on NASDAQ. How do you think that index, which tracks the 100 largest companies on NASDAQ, will change over the coming years, given some of these technology disruptions? Well, and this is NASDAQ 100. So you think growth, right? Now, when I say creative destruction, most people think, okay, value stocks are going to have big problems. And we think they will. Many, many value industries and sectors. You wouldn't know it from the market today, but we think that is true. Um, if you look at the NASDAQ 100, and I don't have to tell you this, Jeff, uh, I think 45% of the NASDAQ uh, uh, 100 is Microsoft and the FANGs. And then they're they're trillion dollar plus companies now. So congratulations. Um, But when you look through the rest of the NASDAQ 100, what you see is, yes, roughly 25% of that index is truly transformative. They're the smaller cap stocks. If you look at the other 25 a little more than 25, what you see are more sustaining technology companies. So like 
5G. 5G is not truly transformative. We've had two, three, four, five, probably 1G as well. I'm sure we did, right? Um, but within that category also, uh, we believe there are going to be growth companies that are going to face creative destruction. So again, I would um, advise investors to look very carefully at the convergences between and among technologies that are going to take place and disintermediate and disrupt even some of our stalwart growth companies. So I, I think your next generation idea, uh, next generation index idea is uh, right for the times. Fantastic, Kathy. Well, thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts, your insight, and your wisdom on these future technology trends. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much to Kathy and to Jeff for a really interesting conversation. I've, if I've learned anything as a journalist, I wish I had my laptop with me. Um, always headline anything that Kathy says. It's the number one rule in our newsroom. <laughs> um, now, let's find out the results of our poll. But before we do that, um, I do want to bring it to our panelists for any reaction to Kathy's remarks. I saw you nodding a few times, Naveen. So do you want to start? Yeah, no, I think uh, <laughs> I've been a big fan uh, of her work. And the thing that resonated the most with me was thinking about the convergence of the different things we are looking at. A lot of times, venture partnerships work as silos, entrepreneurs work as silos, but a lot of times, when you look at the whole system, big things happen, right? Like Tesla did that. It was not just one thing, or Apple. So I think uh, it was very enlightening to hear that, and how to apply that to the kinds of things we do, and things which become massive how they have those kinds of characteristics. So thank you. Sarah, thank do you, you have anything to add? You know, my impression was very similar to Naveen's in that we try always to, um, like, look at the things, the tribal knowledge of, like, how to build a, a cloud software company or a consumer growth app, for example. Um, but then, you know, more important is always keeping the beginner's mind about foundational technology changes. Right. And that tribal knowledge, it ages very quickly. Right. Because foundational changes that converge, they break your model. Right. We were lucky enough to be investors in Facebook. It broke a bunch of models. Right. We were lucky enough to be investors in some of the first great cloud companies. And like nobody knew then. And so I definitely think it's a great <coughs> reminder of like looking at these foundational technologies and then having a beginner's mind about how they will you know, impact um, even growth stocks. I think that's a really interesting concept. Corey. Um, I was <clears throat> just thinking a few words as uh, Kathy was speaking. One was this conver convergence mm -hmm. idea, which I totally agree with, and investors tend to miss out on that. The other two sort of themes that resonated with me as she was speaking had to do with access. So accessibility with technologies and how, you know, when you look at the cost declines as well with these technologies actually spurs growth. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, we see that happening uh, uh, in the EV industry where, uh, you know, folks from different backgrounds will be able to access this. So I think that's, uh, that's, that was a key theme that resonated with me. What about you, Ryan? Uh, I, I'll, I'll confess I didn't fully follow the thread on um, Bitcoin energy consumption being good for ultimately, um, you know, alternative energy sources. 
Um, I, I can see I saw <laughs> the attempt to make that case. I, I think it's um, I, I think it's a little bit of. Uh, you know, trying to justify immense energy consumption. Um, but the, the vast majority of the, the, the mega trends I uh, vehemently agree with, uh, the term we use at Bessemer is road mapping, um, very similar to the, the thematic areas. And I think there's just, there's just a time shift by stage of investing where um, a lot of the things that you're, um, you're able to uh, exploit on the global and, and public scale now um, are trends that, uh, you know, we certainly have been um, excited about. And, and you know, the, the successful ones played out to where they are now public companies. And so cloud computing is certainly one that I uh, am glad you highlighted because it's, it's uh, in my mind, the mega trend of this kind of late stage private and early stage public market. It's now increasingly obvious. But uh, cloud will become the majority of all software uh, in the coming two years. Software is uh, increasingly the driver of, of hardware value, and it's absorbing you know, hardware and services economics in, in large scale. And there's $2.9 trillion of public pure play cloud market cap, not even including the fact that the Amazon that we know of today, its market cap is driven by AWS, not by Amazon.com. And majority of it, its market cap is because of their cloud business. You look at Azure within Microsoft, and increasingly you look at Ali Cloud or, or um, Google Cloud, uh, and those are you know, growth drivers for them. And so that is very much um, you know, the, the uh, platforming layer for many of these megatrends, including, I think, your point on, on healthcare and, and the potential for personalized medicine because of Big data, because of cloud, because of machine learning and AI overlays, will be absolutely impactful in our lifetimes in a massive way. Thanks again to Kathy Wick of ARK Invest and Jeff Thomas, NASDAQ Senior Vice President, head of Western U.S. Listings. Um, now let's turn to the results of our two polls that we took earlier in the session. Uh, the first poll shows, uh, if we can bring that one up, what the audience thoughts on the top tech trends. This is before you all presented. So let's take a look at that. Let's see if any of your initial trend selections made the cut. Looks like we have life science and health at the very top, energy and environment, and food as the top three. The second poll, which we will show now, uh, shows the results of which trend everyone thought was the most impactful. See a little fist bump right there? <laughs> Let's take a look, um, see how these two polls compare. So you two seem to have won this. Uh, just in vain, actually. Just in vain. <laughs> Let's be clear. Silver medal, you got it. Um, Naveen, why don't why don't you you have the final word here on on your predictions and being the most impactful prediction in the next three to five years? The audience has voted. I think like the audience already believed in it. Okay. From what you showed, so if it was me or anybody else, the result would be the same because they didn't hear <laughs> what we had to say. They said those are the top three. I touched upon you all three of those. <laughs> oh, you're so modest. <laughs> no, I think I, I fundamentally believe that biology is going to essentially save the world. And things which we think are obvious, they're actually not. All these companies and examples I gave for, like quantum computing, they've been in the lab for 10 years, five years, three years. They might never see the light of the day. But even if one-tenth, that's what venture is about, if they do, the world is going to be a better place. And that's why Mayfield is betting big. 
And the good news is you can get into these companies for $1, $2 million for 20 to 30% ownership. It's an ignored market. I'm letting the secret out <laughs> because, hey, I want to collaborate. And this is the place where two VCs can work together, right? Because at the end, company building is all about diversity. It's all about difference in ideas. And these entrepreneurs need help. These are hard problems. These are not engineering and software problems. Mm. So I really believe right, uh, in it. And I think we're in the golden era of biology, like we were in software and cloud. This is the future. What percentage of Mayfield's fund will, will go into biology? Um, Still figuring it out. Five years from now. <laughs> Still figuring it out. Will it change after to, today? Uh, like, I think if it's up to my partners, <laughs> like, software will dwindle and biology will keep going up. <laughs> but you have to have a healthy balance, as we heard from... I, I, I think it's at least one-third of the fund. Huh. We are making the biggest bet uh, as a seed and series A fund to bet that much mm. on it. And, and we used to have this in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and then we shut it down uh, because it was just hard. IT and Internet was taking off. But having seen the movie with Genentech, Amgen, and um, Intuitive Surgical, right? Like this time it's like real and it's beyond healthcare. And I think, as you can see, sustainability is the second one. Millennials care about it, right? Like we are investors in companies like Poshmark. Half the millennials last year bought a secondhand good. It is the wave of the future, right? People care about this stuff. Mm. So climate change, sustainability, saving lives uh, is critical. I want to add one thing here. Mm -hmm. First of all, yeah, sure. elaborate. Second, I, I, I do want to add something in that, um, like, software companies are a less academic practice mm -hmm. than they used to be, right? There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of engineers that have worked for big tech companies. And um, not that there is a playbook. Like, every company is idiosyncratic, but it's a lot easier to start a software company than it used to be. AWS, access to capital, um, it's not very capital uh, intensive, right? And one of the things that, you know, we're probably behind you guys on this, but we do believe, especially in biology for healthcare, most obvious one, right? In that um, some of the entrepreneurs we're working with, they're academics, right? Yep. Um, and this used to be true in software, right? Like you had a, or in technology, in uh, software and hardware and electrical engineering overall, but you had more innovation coming out of academia. Um, and like, we think that's going to be true in bio and like these entrepreneurs, like they need more help company building and we're really excited to do it. And they do because they're coming from a science background and the knowledge, the venture capital industry has gathered from funding semiconductor companies, software companies, disk drive companies. It's the same, which is needed, mm -hmm. right? It's hard work, but if you're working on changing the world, I think this is it, right? Like with climate change, we are living it, right? Like, look, people are trying to go eat good food in Napa and what happens or happens, right? Like it's just unpredictable. <laughs> Global war, it's here to stay. It's beyond the pandemic. 
I think in my near future, I will be writing a new headline, Mayfield and Greylock co-lead a new round in some kind of biology startup. It'll be soon. <laughs> It'll That's be what soon. we're going to collaborate now. <laughs> we have some audience questions, so I want to make sure we leave some time for that. Um, first question from the audience. As a Columbia grad, I am getting invitations to invest in Columbia-affiliated venture funds. Would you recommend investing in, any, in one of these funds? Um, how about Ori? <laughs> I don't give investment advice. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, I think, you, you know, if you're going to invest in a fund, you, you just have to do your due diligence. Uh, I think a lot of these schools, uh, even MIT, for me, I'm an alum. We have a fund where MIT alumni uh, uh, can invest in. So I think, you know, doing your due diligence in terms of understanding what the underlying thesis uh, is for any of these funds, uh, you know, the exposure that they have maybe to biology, um, you know, and really understand where the opportunity is. So uh, I can't categorically say invest in a particular fund without understanding the underlying thesis around it. So do, you, do the due diligence and, you know, it's, good to, it's a good time to get exposure to different things. Next question. Many VCs talk about investing in the best teams in leadership, not necessarily the best tech. How do you see the great liberation or work from anywhere affecting the cohesiveness of teams and their effectiveness? How about you, Brian? Uh, so I would agree generally with the, the thesis where uh, people tend to, uh, you know, take tech um, and make it great. Yeah. Um, oftentimes it's an evolutionary process. And certainly the hope is that um, this great uh, liberation uh, is the equalizer for the best talent in the world to rise to the surface wherever, you know, um, he or she or they are. And we're certainly seeing that with more of our companies, um, even if they happen to have a founder at, um, near one of our nine global offices, oftentimes the other co-founders are not. And, uh, you know, we think that the ability to assemble dynamic, diverse and collaborative teams will be stronger. Uh, and from our standpoint, I mean, one of our largest portfolio companies, Shopify at 200 billion, said they will not have a headquarters anymore, mm. um, that it's office optional. Mm -hmm. and certainly, if Shopify can make it work, um, then, you know, the new startup down the street. Uh, I broke that news, by the way. Uh, well played, <laughs> and, and it, it created ripples. I, I mean, we, had, we did a webcast with, you know, Jeff from Twilio, Ben from Pinterest, and Toby from Shopify at the start of They COVID started a trend. That was and, early. Yep. And they, said, you know, <laughs> talk through how you're approaching this. Mm -hmm. And it was real time, and, and some of those conclusions were massive. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I certainly think that this will have uh, uh, very different um, implications than we expected at the start of this in terms of team assembly and collaboration um, that will be net positive and lasting even past um, the mandates and the uh, forced uh, uh, distributed workforces. The only thing I would add is at the earlier stages of company, mm -hmm. this is much harder than companies which have scaled uh, because product development can be asynchronous but one of the things I've realized, having been a founding investor in so many companies, the investor-investee relationship and being in the zone of trust is so critical. I'm at least trying to figure out in Mayfield, how do you build that zone of trust just on Zoom, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not a tactical job like, hey, go do this project, right? So much of it is building the trust, like working together and... I think it'll be a hybrid thing, and VCs will have to get on planes, 
Entrepreneurs will have to get on planes. Once the zone of trust is there, then it becomes much easier. But that norming and forming, at least we are struggling in the early stage companies, right? How to even evaluate somebody over Zoom, right? Because they get like, one of my companies got 16 term sheets last week and 14 never met them. And I'm going like, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to react. I thought he was joking. He said, no. <laughs> so forget about Zoom. People don't even meet. They invest on decks. Yeah. I'm covering these companies as well, so I believe you. I'll connect you to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 please. Um, no, I, I have a question as well that I didn't get to ask earlier. Um, every news organization, including ours, has written about the rise of Tiger, um, disrupting the pace, disrupting the size, the scale, funding announcements. I'm curious to know your thoughts on whether Tiger will be a long-term competitive threat in the future, or is this just something that's happening in this in this moment in time. Anyone want to take this? I think it's hard to tell in my mind, right? Like if they make the money and if they're serious about it, mm-hmm. they're a great crossover investor, but doing inception stage and early stage investing is not easy. So if they can have the patience, if they can have uh, the will to run a marathon, they're smart people. So I think it's a big threat uh, for venture capitalists. At least I respect them in what they do. But it all depends upon, right, like what their strategy is and are they willing to commit to assets which can be illiquid for 10, 12 years. I'll ask it a a slightly different way, and I'll toss it to you, Ori. What is it like to work with Tiger? Well, I haven't worked with them, but I have, uh, you know, I know entrepreneurs that have received investments from them. Uh, I do think there is a place for everyone. Uh, I mean, there was a time when the folks that were facing this kind of questions were the corporates. I mean, what, what, what's your place as a corporate in the world of venture capital? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, and there were views that corporates should be investing in companies. And then you have the likes of, you know, uh, Tiger and... Koto uh, doing investment. So I think it's about value-add. That's what venture capital is about, right? Value-add. So especially with a lot, a lot of stage companies um, that are looking to IPO, there's value that this hedge fund types uh, can bring, uh, lessons learned that they can bring into to these companies. Um, I don't see too many you know, folks like Tiger playing in the very early stage, like you know, Series A, I think you tend to see them sort of Series C and above. And uh, a lot of them, uh, frankly, don't even ask for uh, board seats, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the hedge fund. So I think there's a place for them. Uh, it, is, uh, you know, it, it is a competitive threat, and, and VCs will have to learn to, to work uh, with them. Um, and corporates face the, the same thing. It's an evolution of the venture capital space. We, um, we do a lot of business with Tiger. Mm-hmm. We're in co-invested in many companies. Um, those people are very smart, right? Um, John and others there. And um, I, I guess, like, we are playing, not Tiger specifically, but, like, let's say you are chasing growth. Mm-hmm. And technology, like we all believe, is the growth driver for the economy. And it is more and more of the economy. Um, and it's also a very resilient sector, why wouldn't you go invest in that area, right? Like, we should assume that, um, like, 
some of these assets and technology, as it becomes more obvious how, for example, a cloud computing company works, um, uh, as that business model becomes more obvious to more investors, the returns on some of these companies, as they become more obvious, will go down. Right. Mm. Um, and, and so I think like it's a convergence of factors, like there's more opportunity than ever. It's the growth driver of the economy. And it's easier to invest in these companies because we understand them in a way we didn't 10 years ago. Um, I would say like, you know, we are also playing a different game than some of these. You know, there's two different things uh, you can do if you think a neighborhood is good. I think technology is a good neighborhood. I think biology is a good neighborhood. I think other areas of innovation are a good neighborhood. You can choose the best house or the best couple houses, or you can buy the whole neighborhood, right? Like we can, I, I think there's room to play different games. I think it's really, um, I think it's really tough to buy the whole neighborhood at the early stage. Why do we want to close us out? Is Tiger eating your lunch? Uh, no, I'd echo uh, Sarah's sentiments, which is, I mean, if we're right, these are compelling areas mm-hmm. that, that um, and these companies are staying private until, you know, Stripe at $98 billion, um, the public investors have to cross over and do this if they want mm-hmm. to chase returns. And so I, I think in, for entrepreneurs out there, capital is great. For early stage investors as, as we are, downstream capital is great. Um, and we co-invest with them all the time. And mm-hmm. so um, certainly valuations are moving up, like game on for late stage. Um, but like we're adults about it. And if the outcomes are huge, then, you know, so be it. And so um, there's a lot of people chasing deals. There's 16 term sheets on these things. That's competitive uh, as it's ever been. But it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. And um, frankly, it's still a pretty good time to be an investor with the, the magnitude of the outcomes. I love that. It's game on. So thank you so much to our panelists. Ori Adeyame, Managing Director and Global Head of HSBC Invest, Byron Dieter, Partner at Bassam Venture Partners, Sarah Goa, General Partner at Greylock, Naveen Chada, Managing Director at Mayfield. This program has been held in partnership with the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, Foundation California Center for Innovation. That is a mouthful. It has also been sponsored by Ford, KPMG, Silicon Valley Bank, and NASDAQ. Special thanks to Kathy Wood of ARK Invest for joining us, our guests. I'm Candy Chang of Insider. Now the program is officially adjourned. I hope you all have a very nice evening. Thank you so much. Great job. Thanks, Candy. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.